Hello and welcome to Misal. My name is Zahed and I'm your host. On this podcast, I talk candidly with the most innovative minds working towards building a better startup economy in Pakistan. In this episode of the Misal podcast, I invite you to listen in on my conversation with Kalsum Lakhani. She's a co-founder and general partner at I2I Ventures, an early-stage VC fund that has invested in Taza, Uran, Abhi, Creditbook, among others. She shares insights on startup funding in Pakistan, valuations, and exit opportunities, as well as how macroeconomic factors can impact VC funding in 2022 and beyond. We also discuss capital markets, wealth creation, fintech, crypto, taxation policy, and opportunities in solving real problems versus following the latest trend. Hey, Kulsum, uh, how are you? Welcome to the Misal podcast. Thanks for having me. Sure. How are you? How are you this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's been a, okay. I've been on a Saturday, so it's all good. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've never woken up this early on a Saturday, so uh, this is this is, this is is good. Uh, I am not a morning person, so let's see how this goes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> me neither. Um, so how's the new year been? How's the, how's the start to the new year? How did I start my new year? Um, and honestly, like I kind of hit the ground running, unfortunately or fortunately. So we just work with, I worked through the holidays and just basically seamlessly kind of started. But I think I took time before the new year to just kind of reflect on 2021, try to zoom out a little bit on for 2022 for ourselves as a fund. Um, so kind of went in with some pretty good thoughts and like a pretty good intentions and good headspace coming in. But yeah, I definitely knew that the minute Jan 3rd happened on Monday, I was going to, I had like a pretty full day and a pretty, I've had a pretty full week. So, okay. Okay. So are you like a big resolution person like, or are you just, you go by the, I'm not really a resolution person. I'm more of an intention person. So I kind of set, I just think about like, you know, what is it that I want to continue doing? And then what is it that I want to do away with? And and really kind of setting an intention of what that means for me. And some of it is related to work. Some of it's not related to work. Like last year, um, I mean, generally a big theme for me anyway is, is curiosity. And that can go into work or and it can enrich work, but it also has nothing to do with work. Like I'm part of a poetry group um, that meets online like every month. And that's something super fun for me. Or I'm taking you know, I take courses online or something that has nothing to do okay, with stuff. That's, so that's, you know, that's, that's more about the intention of of continuing to be curious and how that helps me in my day to day work. That's really interesting. So I got my start like creating websites back in the day, like mm-hmm. I would say 1999. Damn, that's, uh, that's a long time ago. But uh, so, yeah, so I created a website uh, that had all the like poetry, like Sheer uh, Shari, like in wow, Urdu, amazing. written Roman English, mm-hmm. uh, Roman Urdu. So that's how I got my like you know, feet wet with like creating websites and all that stuff. So anyway, so a- I'm not into it anymore. Uh, you know, those days are just long gone. Yeah, I mean, me. I hadn't done poetry since t- as I was a teenager. It was just something really uncomfortable and fun for me to do. And I've really loved it. So, okay. Cool, cool. Yeah, so I'm not a big resolution person myself. Um, you know, I uh, just one thing that I really wanted to do, like I was not, so I was traveling, I was in San Diego last week of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wasn't able to finish Succession uh, <laughs> season three. So I got back, I finished that and I was like, okay, this is a great start to the uh, new year because I kind of predicted a few things and it just, you know, turned out to be true. So I was like, yay, it happened. <laughs> That's a good way to start the year. Succession was, it's a great show. So. It is a great show. So who's your favorite character? Um, They're all pretty terrible at this point, but I love, <laughs> uh, I mean, they're all like terrible humans that you end up rooting for. Um, yeah. I really love yeah. um, 
Oh my gosh, I'm blanking because my brain is not on succession right now. The um the husband of the daughter. He had a moment. Oh, the Tom. Tom. Tom is probably like Tom. I just felt so bad for him the whole season and I kind of I'm not gonna give a spoiler, but I just kind of love him. Um so yeah, my favorite character is Greg. Uh yeah, I think I kind of like him. favorite is Greg. I just talk less. Yeah, I I I, I kind of am like him, but I'm like less talkative. <laughs> he, he's, he talks a lot, so but yeah, I don't talk yeah. much. My wife thinks I'm Logan. Really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm Logan without the money, or, just the royalty. So you're a narcissist? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I think Logan Anyways, is a pretty okay. abhorrent character, so hopefully you're not like him. Okay. So let's talk shop. The numbers came out. You really recently released the numbers, and so how do you how do you feel? It was probably the best year and one for the books, definitely. Um, hopefully this year will be better than the previous year. So tell us more about like your findings in terms of like what sticks out, what was good, what was bad, and anything, any any insights you can share. Sure. And obviously TechShaw releases um, findings as well. So um, our research team uh, led by Umbreen Baig, um, who's awesome, and Shifran, our team did a lot of work on this graphic um, as well. So yeah. Startups raised through our, according to our findings, startups raised three hundred fifty million dollars in twenty twenty one, and so I think you know, given that it was like five times, actually more than five times of what we did in twenty twenty, and then you know in twenty 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 twenty, and then twenty nineteen, we did I think forty five million. So it's like crazy how much we've been growing, and in, in terms of that, so I think it's obviously it's super exciting and really amazing, and I think it can be kind of boiled down to um, a few different factors. And I, I've never seen as someone who's kind of on, you know, I put, we put out research, our sister company puts out research and obviously my, obviously I'm involved in that. So I kind of get to see the data pretty granular, but then I'm also on the interesting thing is from being a VC, I'm on the inside of a lot of these deals, right? So there's a lot of, um, kind of color that you miss when you're just doing data. And I think what's interesting to me, at least from an investor standpoint is every single deal that I've been in, there's like, you know, very small, like the ratio of international to local has just been increasing considerably. Like I've just seen so much international VC attention in Pakistan in the past year that I think was really enabled by legislation, um, you know, for companies to be able to set up holding companies abroad. And then that like really kind of opened things up. And then as startups started to come up in the space, then people started investing. And then they saw like, I mean, we just did a um, our portfolio, we did an AMA with Julian Shapiro and Julian's been in a few deals in Pakistan and Julian's awesome. If anyone follows him on Twitter and he's, he's a friend now and he's, and we've been, we've been in deals. I do. I do. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's amazing. He's writer. awesome. And he just yeah. did an AMA the other night with, um, our entire portfolio and they invited their, their team members. And it was just, he, afterwards he messaged me. He's like, he's like, wow. He's like, this country has just everyone in that call. He was like, was so curious and so amazing and asked such good questions. He's like some of the best questions that I've ever been asked. And I think that to me kind of is universal across the board with every single international VC that I've met. Their experience with Pakistani founders so far has been so positive. And I think that word of mouth or that network effect because so many of these VCs also operate kind of in a herd as well. Like so many people look at the same deals. I think we're just kind of seeing that take place, which I think is it's a really exciting time. Um, I'm always really cautiously optimistic because I've been in the market for a while. So I've seen kind of the ebbs and flows of things, not to this extent, but, you know, I've seen 
I've, I've also seen things, you know, taken away as well. So I'm always mindful of the fact that, you know, this is really exciting and how do we continue to um, really be part of how can we keep the momentum going in a way that's really positive for the future um, versus, you know, time trying to take people down or like, or macroeconomic factors, or how do we continue to, you know, advocate for regulatory changes that are really necessary. So I think that's those, for me, those are the things that keep me up at night is this is great. And then what, how do we, how do we make sure that this continues to be a trend for the future? I mean, it's clear that you know, foreign VCs are just, you know, throwing money uh, left and right. And they're partnering with like local firms, local VC firms, you know, uh, boots on the ground, uh, kind of, you know, operations where startups are like but do you feel like um when a foreign vc like you know they come into um, pakistan they might have a different kind of lens because they are they have portfolio companies in different countries so they might value a certain company differently than mm -hmm. maybe you would if let's just say you were leading a deal so how do you how do you get comfortable around like deal making where you you know like okay I'm I'm investing money but you know you do you have to like go back and forth with the foreign VC and be like hey I don't really think this startup is you know worth this much or any, anything like that where you guys don't agree on like on the valuations. Yeah, valuations as you are very well aware have just gone up significantly this past year, right? So valuations that in 2020 or even 2019 i was like there's no way and it was like in the double early double digits right i was like no 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 and now i'm like whoa i'm seeing things in like triple digits things that are in the later double digits right and so you're just it's also like a, a so i want to say two things about that the first thing is that um you know, so many of us have been operating in the local space. Like we've been kind of in a box that we needed to also be pushed out of our comfort zones as well. Right. So to be fair, like um, yeah. valuations in every emerging market ends up increasing as like more and more companies are coming in as like, the addressable market starts increasing. So I think a lot of international yeah. funds, when they come in with that lens, it's been a really interesting education. It also creates really good discourse, right? So there's definitely been valuations yeah. that I haven't fully agreed with. Um, but then at the end of the day, it's also about like people are thinking about, so my issue with it sometimes is like people are thinking about the exit value, right? Of like, where can this company go from a multiple standpoint, yeah. right? And that's really where international funds have had that experience with having exits in other markets, right? The challenge, in, and so in some ways that's good because I think they they have the lens and the experience. And I think that's actually why we saw in a lot of international VCs get so comfortable in deals. Like if you look at um, every single international VC has probably done a deal that's similar in another emerging market. So whereas they might see market risk yeah. with Pakistan, <clears throat> they might have lower uh, business model risk, right? And I think that that in itself kind of created a lower barrier for them to come in um, and apply that knowledge. And we're able to see the path for a lot of those companies, right? That we didn't, I mean, we could see it academically, but we hadn't been in those deals, right? But then on the other side of it, I think when we think about exit value, when you are in a market where there has not been an exit yet, we're imagining something that hasn't happened yet. And we're trying to create that scenario, right? So for me, like my concern is I never want there to be a down round for a company. I never want them to be overvalued yeah. so early that it becomes almost just really difficult to even be attractive for people to continue to come in in the future, right? Um, it's also in some ways created different dynamics. It means that like I was, you know, Ms. Banaya's as GPs of iDi Ventures, 
we were the most comfortable at seed stage, to be really honest with you. Like we wanted to see a little bit of traction to understand how things were going. And we've done a significant amount of pre-seed deals in the past year because as deals got more and more expensive, it didn't make sense for us to enter at seed anymore. We'd have to take the risk a little bit earlier to make sense for us coming in as early stage investors, you know? So I do think that there is discourse. I think that in some ways, like, you know, I've, I've definitely had challenges with it. But at the same time, I also think, first of all, the market will settle eventually. Like, I think things are just going to get evened out. Um, I also think that it's up to the investor. Don't do deals where you just feel like the valuation is so frothy and makes absolutely no sense. Like, don't be in that deal, right? Versus if I'm in a, if I'm in a deal in the trucking space, right? And the market opportunity is so huge. And if someone can crack that, you can have a 20 to 30X, like of wherever we're going, right? Um, or there is an opportunity for like consolidation from a regional perspective, potentially, right? So I think at the end of the day, we're all kind of building the market in front of us and so, or the road in front of us, right? And so it's kind of, it's hard to answer that question fully because I think that we're just kind of, you know, it's like you're almost building in the dark. Like we're trying to build what we can't see yet. Um, so, you know, I take everything with a grain of salt. I also, we have, we have our lines of what we will and won't do. Um, sometimes that's stretched a little bit just because we really believe in the founders. But for the most part, I think we're we're not going to be the fund that's going to really give in to the frothiest valuation. But you never say never. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so I I know you uh you've mentioned in the past, like you're kind of uh agnostic when it comes to like what kind of startup you would fund. It's mostly on a, a bet on the founder. That's always the case with VC funding, especially at early stage. So uh Okay. Uh, without like, you know, uh, is there a founder or is there a startup that uh, you currently like? Uh, you don't have to mention anything if you don't want to, but if there is a start, not, not non-portfolio startup oh, non that you kind of think is doing great work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch. I mean, um, there's a lot of deals that I'm not in and doesn't mean that I don't like the founders or I didn't like, I might've passed or something. I think that, um, I think, um, the founders of Crave are like super amazing. We just, we didn't do it. Uh, we passed on that deal, but I love, I loved Gossam and I think he's amazing and, and he has just such tremendous vision okay. around what he's building. I love like, obviously Maneeb is like, Maneeb and Furkan from the YA and Bikea. I joked to Furkan once that I was like, you guys are like the babas of the ecosystem. You came up when like there was no money, right? <laughs> so just the way that they've had to build yeah. has been so thoughtful, right? Because they've had yeah. scarcity and I just really admire that. Um, I mean, there's so many, like, I yeah. think that, you know, from the standpoint of like, I don't have to be in a deal for me to admire the founders. Um, sometimes it's just not a fit for us and, and what we're looking to do or the value that we can bring. But as you know, um, Zahid, I've been on this, on the founder support side for so long. So for me, it's not sometimes yeah. personal when I pass on a deal, I can still continue to support and, and root for the founders. Yeah. 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 So for people who, I mean, maybe don't remember, don't know, but uh, Kulsum was like really, really early. Uh, I was actually going to wear the shirt that I got after I contributed to the Indiegogo campaign. You were you one had. of our Indiegogo supporters, uh, man. Thank you. Yes. Yes. That was yeah. like so, early you know, days. Like a really long time ago. It was really early days. Yeah. So I was like looking so up. Thank like, you so much for doing that. I, I just couldn't find a shirt. I'm like, okay, I'll just wear the shirt and be like, can you please tell me how I got this? <laughs> I actually don't even you know. Like, you know, know what's if... really funny? I have not, I don't think I even know where my shirt is. And also, 
for some reason, someone decided to knock off that shirt. And if someone saw it in a mall in Peshawar and sent me a photo, and I just started laughing so hard because my friend Bobber, who is an amazing designer, designed that t-shirt for us. Um, he was the founder of Potoy, which was a really cool t-shirt brand back in the day. Um, and it's so funny because I was like, wow, like this is when you know you've made it when people are like knocking <laughs> off your company logo shirt. <laughs> It's been it's it's been like quite a journey, I think, but we have like maybe catapulted like a little bit more uh, in the past couple of years, uh, like from where we were. I mean, there was nothing literally it was dead zone from like, I don't know, 2014 to like 2017, 2018. Nothing really was happening. But suddenly everything is like, you know, uh, accelerated. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's so, so globally also, like I was reading something on Crunchbase, like it's been, it was a you know great year globally uh, for the VC funding. And like yesterday, $9 billion uh, in recent Hallwitz uh, announced a nine, $9 billion fund. It's like, wow, that is just crazy. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, so what do you think will happen this year? Do you think globally as well as in Pakistan, are we going to see something similar to 2021 or are we going to see like you know cooling off a little bit maybe stabilization mm -hmm. or maybe uh you know nothing happens everything stays the same i mean i think it's there's some factors that are not up to either you or me right that i think will yeah. play into some of this stuff you know when it comes to interest rates when it comes to inflation when it comes to just generally when we think about the macroeconomics of Pakistan, right? The, dev the devaluation yeah. of the currency is slated to happen again um, in a few months. And so, you know, a lot of people went to Pakistan because it became attractive from like, from, from a macro perspective. Um, so I yeah. think that, you know, my hope is that we're going to continue to grow because we know that there are deals that raise their B's and their A's in the past year that are now raising their B's and their C's right now, right? So just by yeah. them being able to close will automatically catapult. My question really is, is like, you know, really still the majority of deals that are happening are really at the pre-seed and seed stage, right? A lot of the fintech deals that happened in 2021 were that stage. And now we're seeing those fintech deals raise their A rounds, right? Then we're going to see them raise their B. So I think the question really is, is like, where is the dearth of capital? Where is that cliff? And that really does start to happen at a and beyond. I think we have a few A investors. A lot of, a lot of international VCs prefer to come in at seed. Right. And so when a company that raised has already raised their A or their even their seed and needs to raise their A, who do they go to that has the appetite to come in at that stage in Pakistan? And I think that's really where my concern is, is like, where are the gaps in the value chain? And I've been speaking to a few friends that have PE funds, um, one of whom is like talking about launching a growth stage fund. We're partners with um, in our fund. Um, one of our anchors is a PE fund that's launching and doing growth stage investments. So we're thinking a lot about that, even as we strategically build our own fund is like, where will this come? Because it's great to get these valuations, but that doesn't really mean much if that never gets actualized, right? If we never actually have a liquidation event, like what does that even mean, right? And so yeah, um, yeah. I think continuing to think about that value chain becomes important. From a macro perspective, I'm always really cautious because you know, I'm, I'm even like my background, ironic, interestingly, has nothing to do with business. I come from a policy, foreign policy background, right? And so I think about like geopolitics. I'm like, you know, luckily we haven't really seen that much happen because of what's been happening next door in Afghanistan. But like originally when it happened, I immediately was like, oh God, is this going to impact us? It was immediately impacting like perceptions because I was getting a lot of people messaging me. And then we saw that it still continued to be okay. Um, where we sit in the region matters, right? And so I think th yeah. those things become really important. So I think there, there, 
they think there's a lot of predictions about a cooling off. I think it's too early to tell right now until some of those, um, until we start seeing things happen. I do know, and I do think that's really what's interesting is that a lot of international VCs see Pakistan as an exception, not as part of their mandate, right? And so a lot of them that are writing checks into Pakistan, they haven't really allocated a lot of their portfolio to that. A lot of it, it's like a part of an experiment, right? The goal is as they're experimenting, it becomes, it creates a thesis around why Pakistan needs to be part of the mandate, but then more and more funds right now. So Sharuk is obviously looking to set up even, you know, they've done a bunch of Pakistan deals or looking to set up, you know, even within the special technology zone. Um, we're seeing, you know, Global Founders Capital hired someone locally in the market and obviously has done like a huge deal, a huge amount of deals, right? And so those are really good signals. I would love to see that happen more. And so not to say that, you know, Kleiner Perkins writing a check into Pakistan wasn't a big deal, but how can that, you know, Kleiner Perkins never writes checks outside of Silicon Valley, let alone like outside market, right? <laughs> Very rarely. And so how do we continue to yeah. build this as a norm rather than as an exception to the rule? Well, I would argue that like Kleiner Perkins, uh, I think what they, what they did, uh, Tajir, right? So Tajir was like the, yeah. So YC was a Y, got accepted to YC. So it's kind of like you know if you if they have exposure to the founders who are maybe you know visiting the valley and like they get to you know talk to talk and meet them and all those things so i think that gets uh it's still mostly like a silicon valley play in terms of like you know you get one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one with the founders and you see the team and all those things so i mean so so where do you see startups exiting so i was talking to mutahir also on the part about the same thing where mm -hmm. we yeah, so we, we discussed that, hey, uh, yeah, Pakistan doesn't have like an IPO market, right? Like there's no, you know, tradition to basically, you know, go from a small company to public IPO or all those things. So India has that, so that's fine for them. Where do you see startups exiting? Like even for, you know, someone like Kareem that could have IPO'd in Dubai or any other market, they decided to sell. Uh, to mm -hmm. Uber, uh, which in hindsight was like, for them, it was great. For Uber, it was not so much. So it's like, uh, where do you see these startups going? Are they just going to basically carry on as long as they can? Or it, will they reach a point where investors will be like, you know what, uh, let's just IPO or, you know, merge with someone? This is the challenge. I was actually on a call earlier about this as well. And I think, you know, right now we have like the new gem board, right? That the Pakistan Stock Exchange has launched yeah. um, for specifically for smaller, you know, SMEs. The challenge with that, and obviously we saw Blue X listed on that. The challenge is the push and pull of that, right? Like if you don't have retail investors that are going to really be buying in or understand the space and, and want to be part of that, then it's, there's no point listing on, on the gem board, right? Um, and then I'll, even when it comes to the gem board, I don't think we have yet enough sophistication around what it means to value tech companies or tech enabled companies, right? So I think we're still, I think it's a great first step as an example, um, but as this was this is always my thing when it comes to policy recommendations. I'm like, it's really great to have something like this in place. How does it get implemented? What does it mean from a practice perspective? Like, how do we continue to create education on all sides of it, right? Because obviously, like when it comes to anything that IPOs, there is a push and pull, right? Um, how do we and and so much of the box and we can argue about the box on stock exchange. It's like so it's so arbitrary sometimes of what like you know how much things are valued and whatever, but. Um, when yeah. we think about other, yeah, when we think about other um, options, right? So we think about consolidation, we think about from an M&A perspective, 
Um, you know, I think when we look at regional outward, uh, outside looking in, right, there's a lot of, I think one thesis that Ms. Bunn and I have had a lot is saying that, you know, so many players are, especially in MENA, have realized that Pakistan is kind of that frontier that they need to add into their portfolios. The reason why we've seen Swivel, Noon, like a number of Abwab, Telda yeah. um, is entering the market, right? It's like there's a lot of companies from the Middle East that are entering Pakistan on their own. Um, but then the thing is, as these startups are coming up in Pakistan, does that create like an opportunity for acquisition or consolidation? Or as more and more players in the B2B e-commerce space come up, will we see consolidation happen? And what are those liquidation events look like, right? And um, that hasn't happened yet. But I think the thing is, is that Pakistan is such a high friction market. Um, even and as much as like, you know, Egypt is a high friction market. And so the question is, like, will there be um, will it will a player come in and say, like, you know, I want to come into quick commerce rather than, um, you know, just compete against an airlift or a crave or, you know, munchies or whatever is coming up? Why not? Why not just acquire that player? Right. Or, um, you know, when we think about like Unilevers or like the big like the big conglomerates that exist. Right. Like, how can we think about that? And I think that's the thing, like every single player that's in Pakistan that is especially from the private sector, those of us who are investors, we all play the role of also advocating for this change. Like if we just sat back and we're like, where is this going to happen and just sat back and didn't say anything? I don't know. The answer to your question is, I don't know. But the second part of it is like, that's why so many of us are involved with like speaking to the regulators, talking through things like, you know, we're releasing our 2021 ecosystem study with recommendations, right? Of like, this is what should be done and then taking that forward, right? And so there's MA, there's like, you know, we think about like making the, you know, from the, the gem board, things like that. Those are all great steps. How do we actually turn that into reality? Obviously we saw a swivel, we saw like a SPAC happen, right? Like what is what does that look like for our market? Um, can we see like, you know, investors from a secondary secondary sale perspective, like coming in early? We saw this with Nadeem Hussain. Um, I think he talked about it on LinkedIn as well. Um, you know, that's kind of an we, we never know how much like people sell for, but those are really good signaling and indicators of like early, early investors being able to sell um, their stakes and th that having an exit in that way. So um, it's a big question. I think that the problem is, is like, I think it's a question that you can't just talk about academically. You kind of have to get in and dig in and try to help and figure out how do we make this make this a reality. I saw some tweet the other day, uh, someone talking about how difficult it is to open a brokerage account. Like they ask for like tax returns and stuff. Uh, and the other day, like my father-in-law was like, hey, I, I, what is this Bitcoin? And I explained to him what Bitcoin was. Mm -hmm. He's like, okay, I want to buy some. And he's like, how do you buy it? And I sent him a Robinhood link and like he, he bought it and he's like, hey, you, you know, I just lost 10 bucks. I'm like, yeah, that's how it is. It's you will lose money with Bitcoin. I mean, it goes up and down. So yeah. the fact that he's like in his 70s and was able to sign up within you know, a couple of minutes, it, it just t tells me like so much work needs to be done in terms of you know, user experience as well as um, education in terms of how do we get people to you know look at these IPO markets or any kind of stock exchange say hey this is where wealth creation happens real estate is not the only thing right like right now it's exactly. like Pakistan so everyone wants to buy real estate in Pakistan um, so true that has to change I mean I think I've uh, heard good things about like Rast Rast is something mm -hmm. that recently came out and so I'm hearing like there is if this could be implemented the way in India's uh, you know I we, can't remember yeah, the yeah. acronym for that. UPI, yeah. Uh, yeah, UPI, yeah, could be implemented, then it just could, you know, mean like things will accelerate in the next, you know, two to three years. So hopefully I'm For really sure. hopeful about that. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, Rust, I think, is going to be Rust. Again, this is an example of Rust in theory versus now it's actually like it's going to be it's live. Right. So and that was a lot of the yeah. work that were people um, a lot of people were advocating and lobbying with the regulators and Gardendaz played a huge role in that. Right. And so the interoperability, yeah. the ability to like do P2P payments seamlessly, like that's going to like I mean, the fintech sector started to take off in 2021. That's going to be a game changer for what we're going to see for the financial services sector as a whole. Right. And so the more to yeah. your point, the more that we make UX more seamless, like the more people will want to dig in, the more that we create. You know, I'm I use public right on uh, in the U.S., but like I've been speaking to startups, you know, obviously K-Trade exists. I've been speaking to FinPocket. There's a SunTrade. There's a few things that are coming up where people are saying like, hey, like there's an entire population of this country that wants to generate wealth. I mean, Pakistanis, the, I just moderated a whole panel on crypto in Pakistan. And like, you know, I think the argument is that yeah, that was great, by the way. That was Thank that was you. really great, by the way. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, more Pakistanis apparently hold crypto than they do hold stocks, right? So that's yeah. probably not going to change because that's just you know Web three is the future. But like, how do we also include like things that are happening um, in the traditional market, or do we at all, right? So it's just it's an interesting time right now. But I think education as a whole it needs to be a big part of this. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of years back, like crypto story, uh, a couple of years back, I, I met someone who was just talking to me about, so I do taxes for a living. So he, he, he's like, oh, so you do taxes? I'm like, yes. And he, he's like, oh, so my brother, uh, he is in Pakistan and he, uh, you know, has been buying Bitcoin and all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, how big is it like in Pakistan? How how big? He's like, he, he, almost all of, all of his friends, because they can't buy real estate, they're buying mm -hmm. uh, crypto. Uh, and I'm like, how are they buying it? I, because I, at the time I was like, I, I don't think you could, you know, buy legally crypto in Pakistan or something like that. Yeah. So he's like, no, it happens through Dubai and other channels. Uh, it's, everything is decentralized. So they, they don't really care. So once you go to Dubai, you open up a bank account like there, and then you can just, you know, transact using that. So they're basically in Pakistan transacting using, you know, bank accounts in Dubai or other countries. So this had been going on for a really long time. So I'm really like not, not surprised because, you know, if you, if you close all the venues for people, people will always be looking to, you know, increase their or wealth. So they will figure it out. So I think this is, this is something that been going on for quite some time and i think now yeah. i think government is paying a lot more attention to it and uh, hopefully like crypto rules and you know all the you know everything to do with like blockchain and like takes steam and like moves to a stage where it's not seen as like it's a gray area yeah and i think if we were to think about it like if we were to look at the underlying asper like the underlying intention behind it right it's like people want to increase wealth why do they want to increase wealth because everyone is aspirational right especially when we think about um lower lower middle class and on like in within that sec bracket it's like those they're educated they have the desire to improve their standing and when we what we've seen is that there is decentralized finance by the virtue of being decentralized gives everybody the same the same chance right and so I think what the challenge sometimes is, and you know, even when I was moderating that panel, some of the questions that were coming in were the typical questions, right? It was just like, oh, black money, oh, this. And I was like, actually, like, and uh, Omar, who was on the panel, said something so, so true, which I've, can, I wrote down after because he's like, um, blockchain isn't, or, you know, using crypto isn't anonymous, it's pseudonymous. And in some ways, it's actually easier to track cash, it's yep. easier to track that than, than cash, right? And so I think that's what's the challenge is when we're thinking, you know, within regulators and government authorities, and the SCCP has apparently been quite um, forward thinking and progressive when it comes to this, but SBP obviously has their own challenges when we think about this. 
then people have to also, those regulators need to understand the underlying intention behind why people want to hold wealth. It's not for, not necessarily for nefarious standards, although everyone I could argue any technology that exists has been or can be used for nefarious reasons. But uh, the reason behind it is because people want to generate wealth to your point, right? And so if that's the situation, then how do we help them achieve that and do it within the formal marketplace and the formal economy where the government is signed onto it. So then then it's part of, you know, part of they're part of the solution rather than part of like blocking something, which is going to be inevitable otherwise. So, yeah, to me, it's like really yeah, I mean, interesting. I don't think people understand the psychology behind it. Yeah. Being it's, it's decentralized, like I really don't think any government or anyone else could be, you know, would be able to in the future, like do something about it. Like they'll have to adopt eventually. Uh, yeah. So uh, this is one question like I have always struggled with. How do you go back and forth between what's happening everywhere else in the world and what's happening in Pakistan? Because for me, it's like my Twitter feed right now, it's Web3, right? That That's, mm -hmm. it's all about Web3. And the more I look into it, it makes my head spin. Uh, and it's like, this is so, I mean, it is complicated, but it's also fascinating, like what they're trying to go for. And at the same time, it's like, okay, I have to switch back, like, you know, go into this mode where I'm like, oh, I'm looking at Pakistani startups, like you know, trying to deliver groceries in 30 minutes or doing like basic things that we here in the US or the West might have like had exposure to maybe like five, 10 years ago. So it's it's like, how do you juggle that? How do you, how do you, how do you tackle that? Well, I don't see it as mutually exclusive, right? So I personally think that it's also Maslow's pyramid. So my my issue sometimes when I've gone to things, like even when I've sat in on YC demo days, right? There's sometimes there's a dramatic difference between US-based startups and what emerging market startups are pitching, right? So on the hierarchy of needs, like startups are creating uh, solutions for the problems that are around them. And if we in the US, like there's a lot of privileges baked into the fact that there is, like we live where there's, relative rule of law. Obviously, there was just the anniversary of the Capitol riots like two days ago, but yeah. um, but there's all these things that are in place, right? Like we take that we people take for granted being here. So the solutions that are being designed are for things that are new, the new wave of what's being, what's happening, right? Versus in Pakistan and other emerging markets, like we have to still solve for so many things, which is like, you know, the fact that we have an education emergency, that the fact that there's a healthcare crisis, the fact that, you know, MSMEs are drastically need to optimize their performance and are losing money. And so, or that the fact that financial services doesn't exist for everyone. So I don't see it mutually exclusive because number one, we first have to really address the problems that are in front of us. And I would actually get, I personally am not excited by people that aren't solving real problems. However, I do believe that blockchain can be baked into every single one of these solutions, right? So um, yeah. especially when it comes to like, I mean, I'm an investor in credit book, right? And so, which is obviously servicing MSMEs across Pakistan in over 400 cities, how can like the use of blockchain when we're thinking about, you know, the um, when we're thinking about how we track, you know, transactions or how we think about like, you know, with Thaza, which is, you know, another one of our investments that's looking at like the agri supply chain going to move backwards. How can that also facilitate that? How can that be used to then um, for farmers to um, get loans in the future, right? And so there's all these things that blockchain and Web3 can be an application of, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the metaverse is going to be the reality or the solution that we need tomorrow. I mean, it also, 
to your point, like things are so borderless. So I'm seeing, you know, obviously we saw like now Salman is my BFF, that NFT sold for, you know, however much money, which is so cool. Or I'm seeing like NFT marketplaces and <laughs> people in the space. So like all of those things can exist in the same space. But I do think that blockchain yeah. and that use case, those use cases, I think are super applicable to every single company that's coming up in Pakistan right now. People need to justify, right? Like, so they wanted to justify like what was Web 1.0, 2.0, and now Web 3. So mm -hmm. they came up with like solutions to, okay, hey, this is that, this was the problem with Web 1, this was the problem with Web 2, and that's why we need Web 3. So these things are changing so rapidly. And like you said, it's more about like privilege because we don't have to worry about shelter. We don't have to worry about like security concerns. We don't have to worry about other things that people in Pakistan might be like, you know what, we still have to deal with a culture where we can just, you know, graduate and like, you know, say, hey, we want to start a startup. So it's not an easy conversation to be had. So it's like, yeah, it's all those things. But it's like, it's like, yeah, it's, it's two different worlds. And it's for me, sometimes it gets a little difficult. Uh, and uh, I'm like, I try my best. I'm like, okay, don't look at Pakistan with the same lens. You look at startups here because it's a completely different ballgame here. And don't look at like, you know, startups here with thinking like, oh, you know, they're so advanced because they're advanced because they have already solved for the problems that, you know, Pakistan is currently solving for. So yeah. I mean, exciting times ahead add, any, in any case. Yeah. And just to add to that, you know, I think that Pakistan worth where we are now, we have the benefit of learning of what not to do in other markets, right? So yeah. Pakistan, you're talking about Pakistan being behind the US. We're also a few years behind markets like Indonesia and India, right? And a lot of the models that are coming up have sister sibling versions in those markets. So what could credit book learn from what Katha book didn't do, which Katha book didn't monetize for a really long time, right? We don't have that same luxury in Pakistan. So how do we, how do we think about that a lot earlier, right? Or how do we think about the fact that like, um, you know, how do we, how do we improve contribution margins? Whereas in other markets, they don't have to necessarily think about unit economics because there's just so much more money in those spaces, right? Like what are the lessons that we're learning from? Because we have in a lot of ways, playbooks that exist um, next to us. And I think that to me is quite exciting. And then also just the world that we're living in right now, like to your, what we were talking about, like, you know, how, what are the applications of web three that we can actually leverage right now and actually amplify and accelerate the growth of these companies even further. We talked about a lot of things like in terms of policy and all that stuff. Like if there's one thing we could change right now, it could be culture, it could be, you know, something to do with the regulation. Uh, what would it be? What, what does it look like right now? Is there something that you could change, uh, right away change i would say that i would love the taxation regime generally in pakistan to be improved significantly to enable um small businesses to enable startups um i think that's always the it's always missing um in everything and i think when we think about all these regulatory changes that are happening when you work backwards from that fbr not changing things to me is like continues to be one of the biggest challenges that we have and so from a policy standpoint, that to me is like, you know, and then specifically, what do we change within that, right? How do we create incentives? How do we like, you know, when we think about digitization, like a lot of people won't be, become part of the formal economy because they're then officially part of the tax net, right? So again, like how do we create, how do we change things and think about it in a much more forward thinking way that's not short term and much more long term thinking? And I think we have some really progressive People at some of these regulators right now, my my goal is my goal would be how do we like continue to, um, you know, continue to have that be the case and, and really have that um, apply to the taxation regime as well. Since uh, I'm part of that industry, uh, let me just tell everyone that the way the U.S. You know, uh, startup ecosystem like blew up uh, back in the day and even now 
uh, there is something called R&D, uh, research credit, uh, that uh, startups can ask for. They can get like, you know, same dollar to dollar credit for paying payroll taxes and all that stuff. So that really helps uh, startups a lot. And so I was part of a few studies, so that's why I'm mentioning it. And then startups that don't use the credit that then carry forward the credit. And then eventually when they do have to pay taxes, they can, of course, reduce their taxes by you know dollar to dollar. So that really helps. It's been there for quite some time. And it's one of the reasons it's like something that happens in the background, like no one really talks about it. But there is like a cottage industry out there of like service providers just providing services for R&D credit. So that's how big it's become now. So these things like happen in the background, but they can prove to be extremely beneficial. So you would change the tax regime. And so FBR, and I mean, I guess even so much underneath that, but yeah, generally I would start by asking FBR to be in a room and really with state bank and with SECP and say like, how do we make sure that all of the changes are as cohesive as possible, right? So FBR not being there, I think is is a bit of a challenge. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So yeah, uh, we have a few more minutes left. So favorite book or a favorite podcast uh, that you like or you're reading these days or you're listening to these days? Yeah, does it have to be business oriented? No, no, it could be anything. Um, <laughs> Well, um, so my, uh, I would say the book that I'm reading right now is I'm reading Sana Meher's book on Gadil Baloch, um, which is really good. It's uh-huh. really, really good. Uh-huh. Um, I'm also reading Ayad Akhtar's book, Homeland Elegies, um, which is, uh, I have, haven't finished it yet, but I'm reading it for my book club. Um, so those are the two on my bedside table. My One of my favorite books that I've read always is Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. I love that book. Um, it's We were actually, I'm in a, a group of other female general partners and actually we were just talking about how all of us love that book this morning. Um, and then in terms of uh, podcasts, uh, I love, I listen to like so many podcasts. I think given everything that just happened with Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes, um, I listened, I read Bad Blood, and then I also listened to the companion um, podcast that just had been coming out by John Carreyou. Um, And I listened to it. Uh, my husband and I listened to it. I was on, the, we were on a road trip in Iceland and we listened to the entire thing the whole way through. It was great. And then for fun, I love the podcast called Song Exploder, which is by, um, um, it's basically takes like some of the best songs that we've heard, you know, obscure to not so obscure songs all over the world, but then under basically breaks down the creative process um, and you hear the stories behind it. And then when you listen, re-listen to the song at the very end of the episode, it's with so much text uh, context and knowledge of why the song is the way it is. And it's one of my favorite, every time a new episode comes out, even if I don't even know the song, I love listening to it. Yeah. So I recently, uh, so I've read, uh, you know, Bad Blood, of course, um, the other books, I'll definitely check them out. Um, right now, I'm I'm actually not I'm not a I don't read. Uh, I like listen to audiobooks. Okay. So My uh, yeah, so yeah, so I uh, am listening to the Cold Start. Uh, Andrew oh Chen. yeah, Andrew uh, Chen. That's, that's, that's yeah, actually yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he, uh, he he we kind of overlapped at Uber. So kind of what he talks about a lot in the book is about Uber, and so kind of, I kind of relate to it from the numbers standpoint. Like he was of course out there doing growth for Uber, but at the numbers end, like also like I could relate to some things that he talks about. So it's very interesting. And as far as podcast goes, I mean, yeah, I mean, I listen to pretty much everything. I'm a big crime junkie fan uh, and crime junkies and like anything to do with true crime. Uh, I listen to that. And what else? I'm, uh, lately, I've been listening to, for, of course, research purposes, uh, a lot of Pakistani podcasters. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's how that you know. like. 
Because I know Ozer Yunus has a great one. Of course, yeah, Ozer Yunus. Um, then I mean, I wouldn't say so. So there are like so for me, like my handicap, you could say, is basically not being able to have the you know um, some not in Pakistan. So I don't get the the cultural context to things that are happening. So I listen to the Pakistan experience. Uh, that I think it's very good. He gets quite a few controversial guests, and they talk about things. Um, then there is um, Junaid Akram. He usually has also like people who are a little bit you know gray, but it's fine. Uh, that's what it is, right? It's like you get you know good and bad. So he, I, I think I, I like the way he talks to people and all those all those things. So yeah, those are like the few. Uh, and there's there's so many that I you know just stumble yeah. upon and I, I listen to them and I just don't remember what I listened to. So that happens to and me. I, all the time. Um, can I give a shameless plug to my my brother's sure, podcast? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I actually genuinely, it's, I'm obviously his sister, so I'm biased, but it is genuinely yeah. one of the best podcast I listen to, but it's called Talk Money. Uh, but he's launching, <clears throat> basically he has a podcast company that is launching a universe of podcasts. Um, he has a, a okay. new series called Founder Stories that actually Sidra and Makas from Adams are going to be, I think, the first guest that's coming out end of January. Um, but Talk Money is basically okay. about making entrepreneurship palatable for everyone, like business stories palatable. So everything from crypto to how to buy a house to, um, you know, what the pandemic impact was on restaurants. Like, and he gets like really kind of amazing people to talk about it. So again, super biased, shameless plug, but uh, I have to give a shout out to my brother because I think it's, it's a pretty, definitely I'll I'll check it out when it comes out um so I mean yeah uh, the podcast uh industry is like uh it's like the production quality of podcasts has gone up significantly so it's like you know so much great work is being done and it's by like just creators like it's not Mm -hmm. like a studio or anything it's just the creators doing so much in terms of the production quality something that we saw with YouTube like a couple years back which is now becoming Mm -hmm. very common so yeah, yeah, it's it's all good development. Like we can have a completely different discussion about content because that's what I do. And so yeah, it's this space is also very interesting to me, especially. So anyways, yeah. uh, thank you for joining me this morning. Uh, uh, I really appreciate your time and hopefully we'll have you back soon uh, in, the, in the future. And thank you. Thank you for coming. No, thanks for having me. And thanks for waking up early on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Missile Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and will thank me by writing a review or sharing it on social media. Make sure you follow and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Thanks again. See you soon.